Hello, my name is Nicholas Corey, and you are listening to The Novelcast. Cybersaurus, The Awakening, Chapter 37 They have him here? Harland asked with concern as he followed Dr. Temple, hurriedly, down yet another sterile white hallway of the One Nation corporate headquarters. Damn this building, he thought at one point. It's all unmarked white halls. According to Mr. Baker, they caught the specimen 014 just hours ago, Temple responded. It took all of Dr. Wolf's composure to conceal his concern for TYREX 014. His most perfect creation, and all he could picture, was its body riddled with bullet holes, scratch marks, perhaps even a severed limb. Dear God, it had better have all of its limbs, Harlan thought. I must say, Doctor, Temple said as he strode a few steps ahead of Harlan, leading the man into a large metal elevator. I'm quite excited to see this, the final, complete collection of all of your hard work over the years. It's quite dangerous, Harlan said. Last time I saw it, it tried to kill me. Temple chuckled a chillingly inhuman sound after it was filtered through the electronic mask. It's an animal, after all, he offered. But no, I'm certain that they have it properly sedated. It sounds like Baker's agents finally learned from their past, failed encounters with the specimen. They boarded the elevator, and Temple selected the destination floor mentally through his Omninet connection. Harlan was surprised to feel the elevator begin to rise. We're going up? he asked. Oh, yes, Temple answered. The senior executives are very excited to have Specimen 014 in their possession. It is being held close to their personal offices so they can monitor the specimen as closely as possible. They took the research elevator up to the 37th floor, and the doors opened on a much wider and taller hallway than the one they had come from, making it evident that the 37th floor occupied more space than the average floor. Temple led him around a few junctions in the hall, past a security checkpoint, and then into a monitoring room. The room was lined with rows of desks, all of which had computer panels, though most of them were powered down, looking like nothing more than a series of thin metal rods sticking up about 14 inches from the desk surface. One terminal was online, however, and the air between its metal sticks was filled with a holographic image, symbols, messages, and panels, looking like a computer program floating in the air. Seated at that table was Vincent Time, with Warren Baker seated next to him, though neither of the men were looking at the screen. Instead, their eyes were fixated on the large room beyond the long window against the far wall. That window looked out, at floor level, to a large holding room, the walls gunmetal gray. Lying in the center of the room on its enormous stomach, Long, powerful legs splayed out behind it. A number of cables connected from the room's ceiling down into the back of the animal's skull was the Tyrannosaurus Rex. Specimen 014. Stanley, Harlan thought. The beast was sedated, and heavily. Its eyelids were closed, but not tightly, and Harlan could see the milky white of the animal's upturned eyes beneath. He saw blood on the animal, but not much as well as scars, but ones that were swiftly healing. He smiled to himself, 
understanding that Regina had likely figured out how to access the dinosaur's remote program and had initiated its regeneration programs. Up until this point, despite being dragged through the sewers and run across town, it seemed the animal was more or less taken care of. What a magnificent creature, Temple said as he entered the room. Vincent turned to look at the approaching doctor, whose emotionless lenses were fixated on the beast beyond the glass. Truly a work of beauty. And also a pain to access, Baker said. We can pick up its signal, but it's been stonewalling our attempts to access its programming. It's a security measure, Harlan said, causing the two seated men to turn and regard him. What do you mean? Vincent asked. Harlan shrugged. I installed an automatic lockout. No more than three unique OmniNet IDs are allowed to access the specimen's programming. It was in case the creature ever got away from me. My ID is one of those three, and the plan was to fill the other two slots with vacant numbers that I could acquire in the event that mine got compromised. Baker and Vincent simply stared at Harland. What? Dr. Wolf asked. Baker spoke first. That is incredibly... Paranoid, Vincent offered. Baker shrugged. I was going to say resourceful, but that is also applicable. So what does this mean, Doctor? Vincent asked as he turned to point at the terminal screen. Harland leaned forward and saw the message, Access Denied, Program Lockdown Initiated. That's the message, Harland explained. It's not allowing you access because there are already three unique IDs that have access it. Baker looked at Harland again. Regina, Stanley, and yourself? he asked. So it would seem, Harland answered without turning to regard Baker. Harlan knew that Stanley wouldn't count as an access, since he was occupying the organic space of the dinosaur and couldn't actually see or interact with the digital space. However, he guessed that Regina was one of the IDs, and he assumed that the other was the blonde-haired man he had seen in the picture Baker showed him days earlier. As long as he could still retain some control over his specimen, he would have to find comfort in that. For now. How can we override it? Baker asked. You can't, Harlan lied. We can't, Baker responded. No, it wouldn't be much of a security protocol if you could just... A full system reset should do the trick, Dr. Temple said. Everyone turned to look at the masked man who was standing over the computer terminal, leaning past Vincent's shoulder. He had removed the long glove from his left hand and pressed his bare fingers against the cable running into the monitor's spire-like frame. It was at this point that the people in the room saw two things. One was that Simon Temple indeed had some sort of strange skin condition, with ruddy knuckles and purple sores, deep cracks running through the back of his hand. The other was that the inside of his fingers, from his tips to his palm, were entirely mechanical. It appeared to be a silver surface covered in small, metallic hairs that shimmered in the light of the room. He had slid back the protective cover of the terminal's cable and touched it, the fibers of his fingertip making direct contact with the wires inside. 
Vincent and Baker exchanged concerned glances, while Harland tried to refute the doctor's claim. No, that that's a common misconception about any computer program, Dr. Wolf said. No, Dr. Temple responded, staring at the dinosaur while accessing the computer through the touch of his hand. It will work. You programmed it that way. How can you know? Baker asked. I often find that a direct connection is preferable to wireless tethering, Temple said. The security program blocked out your attempts to access it via the wireless broadcast, but I was able to see the program up close, through direct connection. When you're that close, and if you know what to look for, you can see into the coding itself. Harlan blinked, but was silent as Temple straightened, replaced his glove, and didn't take his eyes from the dinosaur. I'm surprised you never realized that, Dr. Wolf. You'd be surprised how much goes into creating a fully functional dinosaur, Harlan remarked. I'm sorry I didn't have more time to consider the nuances of networking. Your work would be better for it, Temple said. Yeah, I'm sure it would, Harland responded with annoyance. Simon finally turned to look directly at Harland, his voice even and calm. Respond with sarcasm all you like, Dr. Wolf. I am simply offering my advice. Harland said nothing and looked back at the dinosaur. Also, Mr. Time, Temple said, your data scan is quite intrusive. I fear it's having negative effects on the creature's superficial programming. What? Harland asked, alarmed. What sort of effects? Time asked. Nothing lasting, but when investigating the data stored on a creature with this much brain power, a little delicacy is recommended. What do you mean, Baker said, this much brain power? You must have noticed the vastness of this animal's mental capacity, correct? Is it vast? Time asked. I've never seen the brain measurements of a dinosaur before. It is incredible, Temple said. It is nearly a hundred percent larger than it should be. Specimen 013, Gabriel, measured the limits of his mental capacity at a fraction of this animal's. And what does that mean? Baker asked, obviously growing tired of all the technical talk. It means, Agent Baker, that this animal can remember more, recall faster, and react quicker than any other, even quicker than normal humans. Baker and Time turned to look at Harland, who looked back with a face of shock and uncertainty. Care to explain, Doctor? Time asked. Harlan's mind raced as he struggled to come up with the actual reason why the animal would have such high mental capacity, let alone even a made-up reason to feed the others. He had vowed to stay closer to the original DNA with this specimen, so its brain wouldn't be any larger than that of specimen 013's. In fact, if anything, it should be smaller. And then it suddenly hit him. Stanley. He was the reason. There were two brains, or rather two minds, in the dinosaur, and so it was throwing off their scans and their measurements, which were likely calibrated for one human-sized brain. Uh, I altered it, he said after a pause. 
I wanted to see what sort of mental changes I could make to the animal without harming its original physical composition. You see, Temple said calmly, a delicate mind requires a delicate investigation. Well, we're too far into it to start over now, Vincent said, leaning back in his chair. What exactly are you looking for? Harland asked cautiously. The other men were silent for a moment, all of them looking at the beast in the next room, but Baker finally answered. Anything we can find. Harlan blinked, looking from the back of Baker's head to the back of Time's head, to Temple standing beside him. All of the men were captivated by the creature beyond the glass, its size, its shape, its physical dominance, even in a state of rest. It was truly a sight to behold, and this was the first time that Harland felt a surge of true, genuine pride for his work. Too bad he's in a cage, Harland thought. I think I finally understand why you chose a dinosaur, Warren Baker said, and why you chose this dinosaur. Harlan looked at the man skeptically. I doubt it, he said. Well, I at least know why I would have chosen this animal, Baker said, and why Sherman was so taken by it. It has a physicality that is unmatched by any beast, Temple offered. It is a creature of magnificent size, and while there are larger animals walking the earth today, they are not carnivorous. They are not predatory animals. In a world inhabited by giants, this walked as king. Harlan smirked. These men saw their own sense of wonder and magnificence reflected back at them by the dinosaur, but none of them could ever know the true reason he had created it in the first place. That was a reason held close to his heart, a promise he made decades ago. Poetic, Harlan said to Temple but ultimately an embellishment. There were larger carnivorous dinosaurs, after all. True, Temple said, finally turning away from the specimen and heading towards the door again. For all of its wondrous composition, it is still flawed. Imperfect. We will have to do better with Gabriel, won't we, Doctor? Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, you can find the previous season of the Novelcast at nicholascorey.com slash novelcast. That's N-I-C-H-O-L-A-S-K-O-R-Y dot com slash novelcast. The Novelcast is a podcast that is made possible by the support of the fine backers over at patreon.com slash novelcast. If you like what you hear and you want to help support this podcast as well, feel free to head to patreon.com slash novelcast and donate your support. Any amount is incredibly helpful and deeply appreciated. Also, if you like audiobooks, head over to audiobooks.com slash novelcast. Audiobooks.com has millions of different titles available, and by heading to audiobooks.com slash novelcast, you'll not only sign up for their free 30-day trial, but you'll also be showing your support for this podcast as well. Thanks once again for listening, and I will see you next time.